Oh, here we go again. Hey, everybody. Uh, here we are again. It's your two dads, uh, two of your dads. Anyways, we've got Sam here. Hello, hello. And me, your regular guy, your uh, one digital daddy. And, and we've got, a, a. I guess Sam would be an online in-law. That's a good, that fits for him. We're here with another interview with wonderful dad. Goes by the name of Ron Nussbaum. He's the founder and CEO of Nut Nest. And he is the owner and host of the Construction Champions podcast. We uh, found us one in America this time. So we're coming a little closer to home. He lives in uh, North Carolina. And uh, we just want to thank him for, for showing up and, and go ahead and, and introduce yourself, Ron. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely, guys. I am super excited to be here. I am in uh, North Carolina, just recently moved here about a year ago. Uh, I'm originally from Akron, Ohio. Spent four years in the Marine Corps, was planning on going south, and I met my beautiful wife, who was from Michigan. And uh, when I got out, she decided that, or we decided, not necessarily she decided, but she wanted to be my family. And I didn't really have any prerequisites to where I was going. So I ended up in Michigan. And so I actually ended up farther north than I even started out. Uh, but now we made it down. We live on the coast in the Carolinas, and we absolutely love life. Right on, right on. As far as I guess, kids. Do you have do you have kids? Ages? Yes, I have a five. Just just turned five last week. So a little boy that is uh, full of life and energy. Energy. Right on. I have a son myself, and uh, Sam has two daughters. We may get into some fatherly adv- asking you some fatherly advices at one point or another. Since your child is somewhat close to mine in age, there may be something that you can uh, remember or that you can tell me that might help me out in a couple of things. Well, before we hit go, for the most part, I was talking about how you were, uh, mentioned it too, you're a Marine. Me and Sam were both in the Army for, uh, I can't remember how long Sam was in. I was in for four years as well. Uh, almost 10. I just wanted to ask you a, a couple of questions about that, just because it's, you know, something that interests me to a relative degree. Sam as well, I think he might have a couple of questions for you as well. First and foremost, what did you do when you were in? What was your uh, MOS? Oh, uh, 311. I was infantry, rifleman. I've heard that every Marine is a rifleman, no matter what your MOS is. Well, unless your MOS is rifleman, then it's yeah. thought about a little bit differently. If you're in I the guess infantry, so, yeah, for sure. If you're not in the infantry, <laughs> you might think that, so... And, you know, just so we get it out in the opening that, you know, the Marine Corps is by far the, you know, elitist branch. I have a brother-in-law and sister that were both in the Army, so no hate there, but I do mm. love the Marine Corps. I've never heard uh, met a Marine to say different. I worked <laughs> with the guy for a while. We were mechanics together, and and he was always, you know, he was proud Marine, but he was also a really cool guy, too. What about, uh, what about it? Do you miss? I'm not going to say, do you miss anything? Because there's always something. But what about being a Marine, you know, being in the Marines, you miss the most? You know, I, I loved it. It was what I thought I was going to do until it became, I just, it, I blew my knee out. It wasn't an option going forward. And I just loved it. Like I loved everything about it. So I went in a little bit later. I was 22, 23 when I went to boot camp and you know, I had decided it was something I had to check this box. Like I needed to know if I had what it took to go do that. 
And I checked the box and I went there and I did it. And when I was there, like, I thought it, I thought it would literally be what I was going to do. I loved it. I loved the discipline. I loved the structure. I loved the brotherhood and everything that came with it. And, you know, you just being a badass, like that's truly what it's about. Like you love every minute of that. And I thrived in that environment. And I loved that. I met my wife because of it. My Bunkmate at Paris Island and School of Infantry actually introduced us. They grew up together. And who would have thought that, you know, Eric Smits, my bunkmate from Paris Island and School of Infantry, would have been able to put two and two together and get it right? Because we, we're coming up on 15 years of marriage. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love the Marine Corps and everything about it. And, you know, if they would take me back, I would probably pretty happily go back. Hey, congratulations. All right. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, I've got one more before I throw it to Sam for what he might have. Uh, your website says that you served in Iraq and North Carolina. Did you go anywhere else exciting or anywhere foreign? I just if you count the the pit stops on the way to Iraq and the pit stops on the way back from Iraq. So nothing super exciting. And I was stationed at Camp the June in uh, North Carolina. So yeah, I uh, actually. I mean, it was somewhat foreign. It was I was in Hawaii for almost all of my enlistment, but by and large, that was the only place I went to, uh, you know, minus a couple other places. So I can feel that. And uh, that's all I have as far as uh, marine life. What do you got, Sam? Hey, thanks, thanks for uh, thanks for coming in again and uh, doing this interview with us, Ron. It's uh, it's nice to it's nice to meet meet uh, another dad, you know, that might be even in similar of age. Uh, uh, actually, how old are you, Ron? If you don't mind me asking. Uh thirty eight. Okay. Believe it or okay. not, I get like 50 all the time, but 38. All right. All right. We, uh, and, and just kind of referring back to deployment that you were talking about, when were you in Iraq, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I was in Iraq late 2007 through into 2008. 2007 into 2008. All right. I was there myself. I think, uh, let's see here, it was uh, April of 2003. And I don't think we got back to Germany until maybe August of 2004. So, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty interesting time. Pretty interesting time. What, what did you do in the army? I might have a couple of buddies that were there when you were there that was in the army that I know. You know, I, I passing through, I did make some Marine friends, much respect to everybody of all branches that served during that time. It was a, it was a tough situation for a lot of us, whether you agreed with why you were there or not, we did the best that we could to watch out for each other and to make sure that, you know, we all got home safe and completed the mission. So uh, let's see here. That time I was in uh, military intelligence doing reconnaissance. So, mm. yeah. I had uh, a buddy of mine, Jimmy, that was in the Army Scouts about the same time over where he was part of the initial invasion and then was back over there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, oh, you guys do long pumps, you know, <laughs> 12 months there, come home for a little bit, go right back for 12 months. At least we're seven on, six off, seven on. Uh, yeah. But you guys go for a long time because my sister and brother-in-law both did 12 months and they were both Intel. My uh, my father, oddly enough, joined me there later on in that deployment for as a civilian contractor. So my mother oh, back that... home was she was crazy worried about both of us because <laughs> both her guys were there, you know, playing in the sand, and uh, she didn't she was beside herself. She didn't know what to do. It was uh it was it was a blessing that we both got back, you know, in one piece. So my hat's off to you is. as well. It always is. 
yeah, some of our brothers and sisters, you know, may or may not have made the, that journey full swing and got back home. And, you know, like I said, that's why we um, we take a pause on Memorial Day and some every day, you know, to, to recognize, you know, those folks that paid that ultimate sacrifice. And I think that that's kind of important, whether you're a dad or a soldier or not. You know, just these people, they earn the respect, you know, of at least that. Just not being yeah, we're, com- we're coming off and of recording this on Wednesday, two days removed from Memorial Day. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's an emotional day. Like, it, there's a lot of emotional ups and downs that happen on Memorial Day because, you know, you have guys that didn't make it back and guys that lost the battle at home a lot of times as well that I still look at it as, you know, that, that was the war. They, that was the war they fought. And it's it's just an emotional day. You find yourself still like an emotional week. Like I find myself kind of in weird spots, like mm-hmm. coming out of it. I think a lot of you guys would understand more than most people would understand that is that, you know, that's that's what we signed up for. And we understood it was the reality. But most of us thought it would be us. We didn't feel like we would be dealing with somebody, the the loss of somebody else. And right. I, I think that we find a hard time traversing that. Right, Corey, do you, I mean, do you have any experience, um, any experience with that? Because, I mean, you know, sometimes if you've never even been to a combat situation, you know, even just signing up and doing a, doing a tour, getting honorable discharge or whatever, you know, whatever the circumstances of your contract, you know, ending is, you don't necessarily have to be in a combat situation to be fighting a war, to have, you know, have experienced something traumatic. I mean, people die even during training exercises. I mean, that that's that's not uncommon in some regions, you know, at all. You can just guarantee that somebody's going to die during this particular rotation. And so, like I said, that's not combat related, but it's it's a risk that we all that we all take, like like Ron says. I didn't do anything close to what you guys were doing as far as tours in Iraq. I did. I spent some time in Bosnia and we had things to worry about over there, but nothing, you know, that compared to to what you uh, experienced in your tours. I typically don't have a lot to say when I'm around veterans talking about that stuff because I'm I feel like I come up short in in some way, shape or form because not some way, uh, you know, a very obvious way I come up short. You know, no, no one said that to me, but at the same time, uh, there are very small periods of time where I wish that uh, that my unit had deployed, you know, just six months earlier or, you know, something along those lines so that I ha- would have gone with them because I got out virtually right before uh, they did a stop loss. And, and everybody after that had to stick around for training and, and go to Afghanistan. And I, I at the time, I considered myself super lucky. And there are still times where I do, you know, consider myself to be lucky uh, when I see people that experience very extreme situations over there, such as my Marine friend that I used to work at or work with. He had endured a uh, rocket attack and, you know, he heard it, woke up, came outside the, uh, his hut and, and one blew up in front of him. And I have zero that will ever compare to that. So I kind of keep my mouth shut when when people talk about, you know, things that I feel a little bit uh, inferior in and, uh, you know, more respect to you guys for enduring that it is um, even seven months. I still, it's hard for me to imagine putting your life on hold like that, because essentially it's certainly for the army. You put, that's what you're doing. Everything that you did have going on that was not directly related to the military 
is, is on hold for at least a year. And I know people that they went over there thinking it was going to be a year and it ended up being 14 months, 16 months, you know, whatever the case may be, 18 months sometimes if they didn't have enough people. So I'm glad that I didn't have that to, to face and to worry about just because my, I know that, that my anxiety at the time would have been through the roof. But at the same time, I am a little jealous. I am a little bit uh, ashamed even just to, to have missed out on that sort of thing. But I didn't mean to, to hijack that or anything. Did you have anything else you want? All right. So no, hey, I'll, jump, uh, I'll, you- jump in. I'll jump in on that because I, I, I feel like there, there's a, di- there, like there's a disconnect. So, I mean, I was in Iraq in late 2007, not nearly as Connecticut as 2003 or the initial, all of that stuff. And, you know, I feel a big deal. I blew my knee out two months before we were going to Afghanistan in a night ops training, running through a field with NVGs on and put my foot through a hole. Me and two other guys ended up getting medically discharged because of that night and not didn't go to Afghanistan. And there's a big disconnect, like what I feel emotionally and then just with the guys that I had been to Iraq with and was going to go to Afghanistan with, because then I didn't have that same experience that they had in Afghanistan. And it does, you create this narrative in your own head and there is a disconnect and, you know, it's, it, we need to, I don't know exactly how you overcome all of that, but I can, I understand some of what you're saying there's because I feel some of that because there's always guys that it's been worse. They've been in more combat zones. They've done more, of all of that. And it's just something that everybody's service, a buddy of mine put it, one of the best ways I've ever heard it is that everybody's experience in the service is their own. And what it is, is what it like, they're not to be cliche with what it is, is what it is, but that's your service. That is what you were meant to do and how that outcome was supposed to be. What you saw, what you did, where you deployed to is what your service record was. And you just have to be okay with that and own it and understand that some did less, some did more, but you were there and you you gave up your time. You enlisted and you went and did it. Certainly overall, I will never regret the experience. The, the Army, even today, does so much for me that I could never talk them down. And every time someone comes to me, and they're like, hey, I'm thinking of enlisting. I'm like, well, it's not for everybody, but go ahead. You know, I fully support you. And there are times that uh, I think that they might be better served to other things, but I'm never going to tell somebody no. Did you uh, have something to say, Sam? Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to just uh, bolster, you know, some things that Ron had said previously about, like I said, your service. Like I said, your experience is your own. I definitely agree with that. That's That's some sage advice for sure. You know, because even if you signed up for, as, you know, a rifle infantryman, you know, who's to say that a path didn't open up for you later on in your career that allowed you to transition to something that was, you know, better, or you may have enjoyed it, or you may have ended up meeting somebody that had a, a major impact on your life. Like Ron, you know, through his travels and direction, he met his wife, correct? Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, these things, I'm not saying your destiny is preordained or anything like that, you know, but everybody plays a part and everybody is a piece to that bigger puzzle and we all pay, play an important part. And I think when you look at the end of the day over these folks and, and you know, these these citizens that have made that sacrifice and, and, and signed their lives away for service for something greater than themselves, we all 
played a part in accomplishing what we have built over time. It's just important for everybody. Like I said, you can rib somebody for not doing 17 deployments, you know, and you've only done two or, you know, I, for example, I, Corey, envy you because you went to Bosnia. I had signed up for an Advon party and was training in the Black Forest in Germany to go to Bosnia because I wanted my other Balkans ribbon coming back from Kosovo. You know what happened? You went home? 9-11. 9-11 happened. 9-11 happened and all my plans to go to one more deployment and maybe re-enlist, maybe, you know, cash out and settle settle down, all that changed. And it changed so many people's lives that day. But uh, that's, you know, I do. I envy you. You played a part. You did a, you did a, you did a good job. You served honorably. Nothing to be ashamed of at all. We're proud of your service and thank you for your service. Well, I, I appreciate that. Before I blush uh, visibly on camera, I'm going to move the topic on <laughs> to the fact, uh, to something else that, that interests me a little bit. And that's the fact that you live on the, the North Carolina coast. And I saw pictures of, uh, I'm not going to get too specific, but I saw pictures of the town you live in. And it just looks like a paradise. It is amazing. I, I, I literally showed uh, showed that. I think it was just a, a regular Google page. I sent my wife a screenshot and she wants to take a vacation there this summer. So it is right up our alley. We love the beach anyway. And then I read, you would know better and you might, you might could say something about this. I read that the water was, it, the, the color of it was reminiscent of the Caribbean and its clearness and, 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 its, and its blueness, I guess, for lack of a better term. And that is a real draw to me. We are, we're getting into scuba and that seems like a, a great place to, to do that sort of thing, uh, which kind of leads me to a couple of my, my questions. Do you scuba yourself? And um, if you do, is there anywhere around there that you like to go? No, I do not, but I know they do go out. There's a lot of, uh, so we're on the coast where we're at is there's a lot of pirate ship wrecks and stuff. I do that because the ocean's literally right over in there. And the, so there's pirate ship wrecks and stuff and all that. So they go out there and they scuba dive on that. My wife's actually talk, talked about possibly maybe we should take it up. My brother-in-law is a big scuba diver, but there's all these shipwrecks out that you can go scuba dive at so there is definitely that stuff here to do the water is amazing it it can kind of fluctuate with the weather sometimes on what it looks like but it can be as beautiful as the caribbean yeah the pictures make it look really really nice one of my questions was how often you spend fighting off pirates but i guess if they're all shipwrecked now then you don't, <laughs> you don't waste much time with that do you <laughs> I'm not even going to ask that. One of the others was, do you find any buried treasure? And that's just, that's just silly. Uh, but it's something else ocean related though, uh, which is a personal fascination repulsion of mine. Do you ever have any experience or do you ever see any sharks? So on the one pier that's not far from us, you can walk out. It goes, I don't even know how many hundreds, hundreds of feet out in the ocean. And you can go out there and you can see sharks swimming around uh, my wife has an app on her phone that tracks the sharks because they move all the way from down in Florida, all the way up the coast into New York and back and forth. And they have a lot of them tagged. So you can see where they're at and where they're hanging out and uh, cool. see if they're off the coast and stuff. So there, there's sharks. I think that's just when you live by the water. But so for the treasure, you need to interview my son. Because he is constantly digging for treasure. 
Like that really? is his thing. He loves it and That's just cool digging holes, trying to find <laughs> treasure. Right on. That's so cool. Yes. Uh, one last question. And I actually do want to get back to your son after this. Uh, just another analyst. Uh, maybe Sam has some uh, geography uh, interests. But one, uh, one more thing. Uh, do you have a, a lot of bad storms there? A lot of bad thunderstorms? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it rained. We're, we're in where hurricanes can come through. So what we have over the weekend, it was supposed like some supposed traffic. I didn't think it was that bad, but we got a lot of rain over the weekend. So like a tropical storm, that kind of stuff can come through here. The way I look at it is everything's more beautiful here. So like, because the sky is so clear and it, like thunderstorms are just beautiful especially if like to go out on the beach and watch a storm start to come in like that stuff's beautiful so even in the stuff that typically isn't like there's beauty in that when you're in the right environment i feel that's that. the perspective yeah 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 that's i, I like that it must be nice mm -hmm. to like you said stand out there and watch them roll in like that going back to your son i was wondering first and foremost are you currently going through any uh, growing pains I have a couple I wanted to ask you about, such as picky eating and um, fighting bedtime. Uh, my son will be two next month. Do you have anything like that that you're currently going through that you're having trouble with? Uh, picking, picky eating. I, he likes what he likes. And I'm so I'm a I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy. So it's kind of hard for me to get on the bandwagon with like the other stuff. So, but he eats, like, he surprises me with what he eats, uh, but not necessarily a picky either, just kind of wants to eat what he wants to eat when he wants to eat it. Like, we had dinner, and when I came down here to do this, he was already eating a bowl of cereal afterwards. So, I guess, you know, he ate the broccoli and the chicken. Here we hey, go. Whatever. <laughs> my, with me, it's more like my son didn't need any dinner at all and then wanted something after that was more like cereal. He well, is we um, that we've mm, been through yeah. that kind of stuff. But you know, we so we're very everything organic, everything very clean. No, so like when he has cereal, it's not like sugar cereal because I'll tell you, he can, it's sugar. I mean, if he was eating a bowl of Fruit Loops right now, we'd be up all night like that. <laughs> That just it gets him going. So we don't do any of that kind of stuff. So when he does have cereal, it's not necessarily just a sugar bomb of cereal. So we make sure that we're giving him stuff that, you know, that's all lessons learned. If I would have talked to you when, I, when he was two years old, I would have told you, man, load up the Fruit Loops and that's rock and roll, but not anymore. And he's a lot, not, like he likes it a lot better. If it just works all around if you make sure that what's going in is right. Right on. Yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. I have, uh, like I said, he he is really hit or miss on, on the meals. I can get him to eat, you know, one good meal for breakfast, one good meal for lunch usually. And then it seems like after that, all he wants to do is snack. You know, and, and like you said, it's, it's one of those things that you just deal with and uh, growing pains or, or what have you. But I uh, I do hope that he gets out of it. I've talked to a couple other dads and they have older kids than me and they are still experiencing some of these things. So it is something, I guess, that you just have to kind of deal with forever uh, or not forever, but, you know, <laughs> for long term relative to their uh, <laughs> their 18 years spent with you. Before I, I kick it to Sam, I should ask my other co-host who's not here right now. 
he typically asks for advice on potty training. Do you have anything quick and brief that I can kind of throw his way? <laughs> no, I mean, that was, that's, that was a, a hard herder for us to get there. And, you know, I don't have any tips or tricks or anything other than eventually there just comes a time when you have to use the toilet and that's what it is. Eventually it's just going to happen. Uh, yeah, so do you have anything, yeah. Sam? Eventually there you just, there's no other options. That's, that's pretty solid. <laughs> it's pretty simple. <laughs> like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, I did have some, um, I did have some questions real quick. Uh, just a few. If you guys, if we still got time, we still got time, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we, yeah, we're good. Uh, as long as he, as long as Ron's good, we're good. Hey, okay. I'm good. All right. All right. Here we go. So, I mean, what are some things in your routine that you have that, you know, that have helped balance your life as a new dad now? Uh, so that's a great question because not only did I start my own company in the last year and a half, I moved across the country as well. I went from working brick and mortar to working at home. And, you know, that's a different environment. There's some change that has to be there. There's a lot of great. And then there's also bad, just like with everything. So I like to say a lot, like we choose all hard. Like you have to understand, like everything you do is going to be hard. You're choosing what hard you want. I chose the hard of working at home. Now, a lot of people would say, well, that's probably not hard. Well, it, there's stuff that comes and goes with that. Like I go up and I interact with my son throughout the day. And, you know, I have to explain, no, I can't come build Legos right now. It's not that I don't want to, it's that I have stuff I have to do. I have meetings I'm in. I, you know, that's the hard I chose. Now, some people choose the hard of going to a brick and mortar and working there and they all come with their own things. But when it comes to systems, I get up, me and my wife go to the gym every morning. We come back, I drink coffee, have breakfast, try to talk to my son if he's willing at that point in time to, you know, interact a little bit or if he's off doing something by that point in time. And then I come down and I have meetings all day long and I'm in and out. So I'll go up there. And if I have gaps in between my meetings, sometimes I'll, I'll do some stuff with him. But for the most part, I'm down here in my office working. Uh, and then I try, I, I don't try. I always make it up there for dinner and have dinner and go from there. I mean, when it comes to bedtime, that's one of the biggest routines we try to keep going because and that's something that was taught to me. So we were having a hard time getting him to sleep, getting him to calm down at night and stuff. And I had a, a real, uh, David Goodall, who's a really good friend of mine. He explained to me he had the same problem with his daughters, and it, it all comes down to routine, like getting a routine in there. So we, we try to, you know, 730, start getting that bath ready, get him in the bath, and then get him in bed and read a book and then try to start doing that stuff. And, you know, now he kind of, he looks forward to that. Like he's, he's about doing that, and then that helps him wind down. And then I relax, I guess. I try to decompress. I'll read a book. I'll do whatever watch stupid tv just to something that's mind-numbing that allows me to just clear my mind oh that's that's great i mean i i like all those things those are those are really those are really sound you know foundations that you're trying to you know establish with you with your family and um, I, I could see i could see the success that that's gonna bring you you know on down the line and so you know kudos to you for that that's that's good that's a good plan i like that what influenced your decision to work in the in the construction industry? <laughs> so 
when I you know, got going from the, a rifleman to you know a, you know an infantryman to construction. I mean, did you do that as a youth um, before no, your service, or have no, anybody family? No, nothing. So I got in the Marine Corps and I found myself in Michigan, and I was really like looking for what is that transition. I was looking for something I could grab onto. Like I said, it's not necessarily it wasn't what my plan was. So here I was. Now what do we do? And I went, I was detailing cars at a Cadillac garage because I, I did paint work on cars and detailing before I went into the Marine Corps. And so I, I was just detailing cars, trying to figure out like, what do I want to do? And there was this foreman and training ad that kept coming up. And like, I was like, oh, I have no, there's no whatever. I mean, it's not, I don't have any experience. I can't be a foreman in training. Finally, one day I looked in the mirror and I was like, damn it, you're a United States Marine. If you want to go be a foreman in training, go be a foreman in training. So I applied. I ended up getting a job. And it really, like, just the the hardness of it in that environment, I think construction is a great environment for, for guys to transition into. There's still a lot of structure. There's a lot of learning. And it's an environment where a lot of the stuff we learn and a lot of the traits that we just naturally have being in the military thrive. So I was able to go in there. Most of the guys that were getting hired around me had construction management degrees. I had a high school diploma and a tour to Iraq. Like I didn't have any of that and no construction experience. So it really gave me a desire to just hone in and learn every day, continue to just be the best I could be and just learn, 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 learn. I always had a chip on my shoulder because I was always the guy mm-hmm. that didn't, I didn't have any of that. Like I had to learn it all. And I went from digging the hose to running the company in the span of 10 years. So it ended up working out. That's I'd good. So. That's, yeah. Your, your tenacity. And and like I said, your work ethic and that energy that you brought with you from your, your time in the Marine Corps made that transition, you know, a, a lot more smooth than what some, other folks have, you know, trying to get back into the, into the civilian sector. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, something I guess that I chose to do, like I got into the uh, the furniture and furniture moving business is where, you know, I kind of made that a little bit of a transition there where planning and logistics, you know, and some structure, you know, and timeframes had to yeah. be implemented with a lot of physical uh, and manual labor too, you know, in, in various conditions. So, you know, making that transition, I think is it's healthy, it's productive. And, you know, and some would say, you know, in your leadership back when you were in the schoolhouse or, or at a, a boot camp or even, you know, at, at a post was, you know, if you're not going to be smart, uh, you might as well be strong. So that kind of gives you a buffer to figure out what you're going to, which way are you going to go from here on out? If you're tired, if your muscles get tired, you better learn something, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, I have one more silly question, but, uh, you know, if we got time for it, uh, we love the silly. All right. Hey, all right, Ron, when you got discharged, did you, did they let you keep some of the crayons? I got to, I got to ask. Oh, oh, 120 pack, man. They give yes. them to you when you leave. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. Good thing they didn't take that away from you. I would have hated that. All that, all that put in and, and that pain you went through, and then they take that away at the end. So we've kind of got on the topic uh, as it stands, but tell us a little bit about your business. Tell us about Nutnest, what's going on there with, you say you're in, in meetings all day. So I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming that there's a, quite a bit of success going there. And I read, you know, I read what your website said, uh, but it's, um, 
little over my head, not being in the construction business, but maybe you can generalize it for uh, our listeners and me and, uh, and, you know, tell us what's, uh, what your business is all about. Yeah, absolutely. So we're a customer communication platform built for the construction industry by the construction industry. So one of the best ways for me to describe it to anybody is we're like air traffic control. We make sure that that customer is always talking to the right person at the company whenever they have a question. Because number one customer complaint in residential construction is communication. It's never the work. It's never the guys. It's always the communication that's the the downside. And it's not because the guys don't want to be good communicators. It's because they don't have the appropriate tools. So what I did was I built software that helps customers and contractors do just that. And we're we're completely web-based for contractors, so they can access it anywhere from a laptop to desktop to mobile phone to tablet. And then we build a mobile app for homeowners to download. And then that works as where all that communication goes. And where the magic really happens is if you have a question about scheduling, you go and you ask the person that's in charge of the schedule. You're not reaching out to the sales rep or that builder that was out there that all moved on to the next project. They don't have any ID. So we make sure you're always talking to the right person. We empower the homeowners to ask the right questions. And then for the contractors and builders, we get everything organized and we do it by project. So there's no more chasing emails, no more chasing text messages, phone calls, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, whatever guys are using out there. We get rid of all of that. We get all the communication documents and pictures in one place. And then we organize it per project. Right on. That definitely sounds like you feel a, a niche that, I mean, I didn't even know was missing. Wow. Um, right. You know, I, I, I spent a little bit of time in construction, mostly just roofing. And there was always talk about how the, the homeowner was mad because they weren't being told this and that and the other. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there wasn't anybody like you there to work as that intermediary, uh, you know, to make sure that their questions were answered. So I'm sure that, there's a there's quite a few homeowners out there that are probably happy that you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's. Did you have anything about that, Sam? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just I was agreeing with you. I mean, it's it's like I said, after 10 years in the industry, it's uh, I got tired of getting my ass chewed for stuff that was out of my hands, and I knew there had to be a better way. So I decided to go build it. All right, I've got around the right people to build it. Let me put it that way. I'm a non-technical tech founder, so like. I don't build software. <laughs> right. Yeah. When you said I built some software, I was like, wow, this guy's really smart. I could yeah. never do that. Yeah. No, I didn't build it. I just saw what I did was I put your other a haphazard at best PowerPoint presentation one night on what I thought this should look like. And then I found a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me who was able to bring it to life. And it's actually a lot better than what I even imagined it could be. Right. Yeah. That's why Sam's here. Um, so <laughs> along those same lines, and this is more, uh, I guess, a, a maybe more of a personal thing, the homeowner, uh, homeownership is getting more and more rare. The, the, the price of homes are getting higher and higher. And your business is basically built around building new homes. What is your argument? And I don't really have one either way. So you're going to be kind of probably swaying me uh, in, in whichever way you're going to be arguing. But what's your argument? For a new person, like for me, I'm about to uh, to get uh, my first home. I haven't started the process yet, but we are renting now and we'll be soon uh, buying. What's your argument to 
to kind of sway a person into getting a home built as opposed to just maybe buying one that's already there? So my software mainly isn't necessary for just home builders. It's for contractors and like a lot of renovation guys utilize it. So when I say builder, I talk more on the not new construction side of things. Uh, I think either way you go, it's up to you. Like you just find. So find you that- work with. You work all across the board. You work with if, yeah. if you're having somebody redo your, I don't know, your your plumbing or your your roof or anything, uh, you're going to be there to uh, to kind of work as a as a third party. I was that's my fault. I uh, you know I misunderstood just how broad your business went, um, but that's cool that you no, have. That's awesome because for me that's a data point because that means I'm not explaining something as good as I should be. Like that's, it's a learning experience. I'm glad you said that because it allows me to be able to reflect and understand exactly what I'm saying and how that comes across. It's everything's a data point. Everything we do is all stuff that we can learn from and understand. Interesting. I like that. I like that point. So you've told us about your business. Tell us now about your podcasts. What, what is that? What is the purpose of that? Is that just getting the word out about the business or does that have a a broader message? No, I, mean, I don't really talk about the business on the podcast. It's, I mean, it's a sponsor of it. But so Construction Champions podcast is about getting leaders, disruptors, builders, contractors, coaches, anybody in the residential construction space. I get them on there and we talk about what it takes to be a champion. I ask one question. What does it take to be a champion in the construction industry? And that's what we talk about. We talk about how we can burn down these wars that have been put up and how we let 3%. We're one of the only industries that allow the 3% of the bad eggs to dictate the entire mindset and the entire belief around the industry. And I don't believe it should be that way. I, I believe I'm at the forefront in helping lead the push into the day when the construction industry is looked at completely different. And that's what it's all about. It's about empowering business owners, empowering guys to go out there and just be a champion every day to just do the right thing and have hard conversations with their customers, take care of their business so their business makes a profit so they can continue to go out, provide for their families, provide for their employees. That's what it's about. It's about changing the mindset around the construction industry and I bring it, we have great guests that come on and we have amazing conversations about where the construction industry is headed. So you're kind of like a, a coach slash mentor as well. Yeah, you're. So you're I do a- no coaching or mentoring. I do have, I have, the constru- I have the Construction Champions Mastermind Group, which is just designed to bring guests and listeners to other. Like that's my main goal with that. Uh, okay, so but- it's just a connection point. Yeah, it's just something I threw together to start getting everybody in because I was like, let's make sure we're connecting people, getting everybody together because it's all networks and how, like, if you position this stuff well, that's how you have the biggest possible impact. You just get everybody in there. And, but I'm not, I'm not a coach. I'm not a, I'm not a mentor. I have coaches and mentors because I believe everybody should have one. And that is what would lead you to be being able to unlock your true greatness. But it's just not a road I've been down yet. You, the, my confusion comes from your personality. De- definitely gives off like that that vibe of 
of being like, you know, kind of wise. But before I say anything else that's incorrect, Sam, do you have anything? Oh, just a quick question about those meetings and just the uh, the atmosphere in a whole as a whole, you know, that these conversations could generate. You know, I would imagine you probably have a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say Teamsters or union members, you know, maybe participating in some of those conversations. Not not that much. I, mean, I deal a lot with just independent businesses. Independent business. Okay. I mean, I could see some, you know, like a like a group or it's not necessarily a clique or cult or anything negative, but just, you know, just a, a roundtable discussion, you know, of different like HRs, different uh, level management, you know, mid-career guys, senior people, you know, more mm-hmm. design and engineer folks getting together, like you said, and, and talking about specific hot topics, you know, that could benefit the industry as a whole if there were some changes implemented, you know, and then people could be attacking these subjects, uh, attacking these topics from many different angles that could benefit the industry as a whole if these plans were interconnected. Absolutely. Communication, you know, platform that you're offering is a wonderful vector for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I've I've had the privilege to sit on some panels and be involved in some stuff like that. Uh, and I look forward to continuing to do it. And as well as having some of my own to where we can really just start moving stuff forward. And mm-hmm. like I said, it's all getting the, the amazing thing about podcasts. Amazing thing about podcasting is we have a conversation. We spend an hour to other. This goes out on the internet. And unless they delete the internet, this lives on in perpetuity. So like when I have a, a guest on Construction Champions podcast and we have an amazing conversation that focuses on a pain point that somebody might have in their business, five years from now, somebody could get on there and just Google search or YouTube search a problem they're having and all conversation could pop up and solve that problem for them. And to me, that's absolutely amazing that we live where we can do that and everybody should take advantage of it. I, for the longest time, did not do stuff like that. But I've come to realize, like, there's no reason not to. Like, why you take all of this to the grave, it doesn't matter. Like, get it out there. And then once it's out there, it's out there forever. Dads will be able to listen to your guys' podcast forever. If they have an issue and they'll be like, oh, we're here and they get on, they listen to an episode and it's like, that made sense. A light bulb went off and it's all because we were willing to get together for an hour or you guys were willing to get together multiple times for an hour with another guest. I mean, it's, it's an amazing concept. Cue the applause. That ties into something that a previous guest said. He said that one of the reasons he does his podcast was to put that story of those people out for their families later on down the road. If one of them, like worst case scenario, uh, you know, something tragic happens, then those people can still go to his podcast and hear their family members speak about whatever it was they were talking about that day. Mm -hmm. And that's always going to be there. Like he, he almost used your exact same wording. As long as the internet's there, that will be there. And that that's true. It's really fascinating that I mean, I, I get no customer or customer. I get no listener feedback. So I really don't know if anybody gets anything from the podcast beyond just a, a very few people. Uh, I hope that they do. And that's one of the reasons we put it out. We we hope to be a resource for dads where we feel like there's a you know a serious lack of that. But you know, at the same time, it's awesome if five years from now 
uh, yeah, assuming that we've stopped doing it, it, that someone still might be able to find that and get something from that and get help from that. You know, like I said, I get zero feedback, which we've taken to mean that we do ev everything we do and say is just spot on and perfect and that no one has any complaints about it. And that's fine. <laughs> we're, we're, we're cool with that uh, frame of mind. But uh, beyond getting any real feedback, I do hope that someone somewhere is getting some kind of help from this, even if it's just we have a, a little slogan where we say you might not learn something, but you'll probably laugh a little bit. So at least, you know, we'll, we'll give them that if nothing else. And right. usually I don't have one today, which I guess that's my fault. But usually we end every episode with a dad joke. Oh, my goodness. Uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> Did Sam you know save what? the day? I, you know, I might, I might just have. Oh, <laughs> listeners, if you're not, if you're not. Oh, watching all right, this so, on the, yeah, our, Nobody's our watching very it. brief <laughs> YouTube shorts. We're about to have yep. a dad joke. Um, so without taking up too much more of, of what the fans really came to hear, give us a dad joke, Sam. All right. All right. So my uh, my children were gracious enough to uh, gift me with this wonderful volume of dad jokes for um, uh, a present one year. I, I love it. It stays here beside my desk. And, uh, you know, we'll just go ahead and. Uh, Hop right into it. Without further ado, <clears throat> here we go. If I see a robbery in an Apple store, does that make me an eyewitness? Is this over my head? Is that the punchline? Am I going to have to cut this out to make myself sound smarter? No. Oh, are know. you an eyewitness? No. You are an eyewitness. You, a robbery in an Apple store. Yeah. Oh, an Apple store. See? Yes. I'm thinking oh. fruit. <laughs> <laughs> an apple store yes yes like the the tech apple okay i'm like yeah oranges i i'm mm. like a core witness maybe no okay can can we get one more that doesn't make me sound like an idiot yeah no absolutely you know what we'll uh we'll switch gears just a little bit that way i can decide whether or not to cut that one out entirely that one okay. that one could be that one would be our our secret dad joke that we that only we three share because that one just made me look like a fool no, no, you know what? Um, I should have I should have looked through the book a little bit. Uh all right, so here we go. Here we go. Sam with this dad joke. And this is definitely right. not a second one. This is for sure the first one he's done. <laughs> Absolutely. Without further ado, here we go. All right. What are bald sea captains most worried about? I, I don't know, Ron. You got this one? Nope. No, I do not. No idea. They... Okay, all right. What are bald sea captains? most worried about all right cap sizes <laughs> cap sizes get it mm -hmm. <sighs> that one i get yeah that one's a good one that one's a good one okay i don't feel quite as stupid now i appreciate that thank you for for going that <laughs> extra mile to make me feel a little bit better it's all for um the, it's all for the fans <laughs> that's actually all that i have uh, i came a little bit uh light on the geography questions typically as i said our previous guests were from other nations other countries what have you so i had you know a little bit more interest in where they were and what they were doing but i live in tennessee and you live in north carolina so we're pretty familiar with each other's states there's not a lot going on there yeah, that we don't you know find about. your way over here and let me know we'll get coffee awesome dude that sounds great yeah maybe you yeah. can uh, point me out at like a good beach or something like that it'll be me the wife and, and the two-year-old so we look forward to it uh it'll be his first like he, he went to the beach in her belly, but this will be his first real beach trip. So we're, we're you know, and that's really what I prefer. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a warm weather guy. I spent some time in, in Colorado 
but Hawaii spoiled me. And now I just, uh, I just want warm weather basically all the time. Anyways, uh, enough about me. We do appreciate you coming on, Ron. Thank you so much. You've been Thank an awesome you. guest. Thank you. We never know, you know, ahead of time, or I never know ahead of time because my social anxiety tells me that every interview is just going to go terribly. So every time it's, it's you know, a, a good one, I'm super happy, maybe more so than I should be. But Sam, thank you for joining us as well. And, uh, yes, and once again, everybody, this is Ron uh, Nussbaum. He is the founder and CEO of Nutnest, and he is the owner and host of the Construction Champions podcast. You should give that a listen if you're at all interested in uh, getting any work done or if you're interested in the construction business in general, give that one a, a follow. And beyond that, once again, thank you uh, both for coming. And I appreciate it all. And you guys have a wonderful day and a wonderful night. And we will check you later. All right. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. You need that bad guy.